are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be joined by Andy Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers to check in on Russell Westbrook and his post-All-Star break performance for LA, as well as LeBron James becoming number two on the NBA all-time scoring list. Then, we touch base with Kuka Hill from Locked On Pistons as Cade Cunningham makes his push for Rookie of the Year, as well as Sadiq Bey and his masterclass performance, a 50-piece night for Sadiq Bey. And then lastly, we touch base with Sean Coleman from Locked On Grizzlies. John Morant taking the leap this year, guiding the Memphis Grizzlies to the number two overall seed. What has Memphis done to be successful? What does their playoff outlook appear to be? And who poses the biggest threat for the Memphis Grizzlies in round one. Going to get to all of that. As always, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. Joining us now is one half of the Locked On Lakers crew, Andy Kamenetsky. You can follow both halves of the crew over on Twitter at Cam Brothers, though. Andy, the Lakers are sitting at, you know, very firmly within the the play-in area of the Western Conference, just a half game ahead of the New Orleans Pelicans. And this isn't exactly where the Lakers probably expected they would be when the season began. And this comes, you know, we're recording this off the backs of a, you know, a weekend slate for the Lakers, a win against the Raptors, a loss against the Wizards. And in that game against the Raptors, we kind of saw, I, I think, kind of the duality of what is Russell Westbrook, right? A guy who at his best can single-handedly like keep you in a game, win you a game, gets the steal in the closing seconds, hits the three, forces the overtime. What's it's been, what has it been like kind of seeing this Lakers team struggle with the polarizing level of play out of Russell Westbrook, especially post-All-Star break, who at one point he was shooting 9% from three, and since, since then that number has has ticked up quite a bit, uh, thankfully. But what's it been like just seeing this Lakers team try to you know work with what they've got with Russell Westbrook? Well, I mean that that sequence that you mentioned against the Raptors, like that, I think is sort of a, a summation of everything Laker fans have felt with Westbrook, and maybe the most positive possible version of it. Because you know you mentioned that he gets that steal and he hits the three that sends the game into overtime. Lakers end up winning in overtime. But right before that, Russ had grabbed an offensive rebound from LeBron missing a three. That's good. Then he put up a really unnecessary three, wildly missed it, bad. But then he got the steal, went up court to hit that three. That's good. But he almost had his foot on the line for a two, which would have been, you know, while doing all this stuff in real time really quick, that would have been bad. You're still down one. And either way, it's a shot you don't want Russ ever taking and you never feel good about it in the first place so like that's just this stew of everything going on right now with laker fans and this team with russ like since the all-star break he's had a few good games like uh, the one that the lakers lost recently against the rockets like the fact that they lost to uh, your team no offense it completely overshadowed the fact that russ played really well in that game like he, he had a probably the best performance of any Laker in that game. And he's had a couple nice games lately. He shot well 
in the in uh, Saturday's loss to Washington. But for the most part, it, it hasn't been any better than before the break. And, you know, there had been this hope that Westbrook would carry this recent trend that he's had over the last few years, saw it in Houston, saw it with Washington, where he's a member of a new team. And it takes him about a half to really feel comfortable, find his place. And then the second half, his play really turns up. And that has not happened with the Lakers anywhere close to a consistent basis. At this point with how the season has gone, Andy, what are the playoff expectations for this Lakers team? Uh, short. <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because you're in a position with with so many guys on the team where it clearly, like, it, it's you can't exactly be sending a, a a message of championship or bust with how the season has gone. We're much closer to bust, Jackson. <laughs> like it, right now, it's feeling like you know if it has not already busted, you are in bust adjacent territory. I mean, the Lakers have not won two games in a row since January seventh, and if you want to put the most positive spin on it it was a four game winning streak without ad you know anthony davis was hurt at this point he still isn't available don't know exactly when he's going to be back but we do know for sure there's not going to be a ton of time for him to get back in the swing of things with the team to you know start redeveloping that chemistry with lebron so it's it's hard to feel optimistic about their chances, but let's just say that they find their first two game winning streak um, in the play in because it's it is almost definite that they're going to end up having to win two in a row from either the nine or the ten spot. They're going to end up facing off against Phoenix most likely. <laughs> you know, Phoenix has been killing them. I mean, not just because they're a better team, but the Lakers don't match up well with them. Phoenix can play really any style that they want trying to counter the Lakers. It just, it doesn't feel like this is setting up for some type of historical, I cannot believe what just effing happened run. So, and I'm glad you you went there with the the matchup against Phoenix because at this point, you know, it it doesn't really feel like even if the Lakers do manage to escape the play-in and make it to the actual playoffs and they're lined up in a seven-game series, it doesn't feel like the team on the other end of the bracket, in this case, you know, more than likely the Phoenix Suns, it doesn't really feel like the Suns should be afraid of the Lakers at this point. If anything, they probably look at that as an easy first round out at this point. Well, I mean, they, they may look at it as something where they could ease Chris Paul back in. And, you know, the, the, the Lakers and Suns had their history from last season. And, you know, there's the debate about what would have happened had Anthony Davis been healthy. You know, AD recently, I think, really lit a fire under the Suns before their uh, most recent game saying that if, the Lake, if he had been healthy, they know they would have won that series. But also the Suns know they would have won that series. And, that, and that's where I think it actually was a bridge too far from Phoenix's perspective. And Devin Booker said afterwards that he thought those comments were just disrespectful, but also totally unnecessary. Like, why go there, particularly with a team that is better than you? Like, you don't need to give them any motivation. But they could look at this as a situation where, you know, we we can play Chris Paul some reduced minutes or maybe give him, if he happens to need, you know, more time before he feels really ready to get on the court. Let's play half the series without him, see what happens. You know, Chris Paul was actually hurt during that that series. It's, e- it's easy to forget because there's so much focus on Anthony Davis and the Lakers were defending their title. But th- this could be something where Phoenix looks at it as both advantageous 
And also, yeah, we are going to relish kicking these guys' ass because we 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 don't like them and we feel like they and the rest of the league don't give us enough props for what we did last year getting to the finals. Andy, less than a, a week after becoming the first player ever to record 10,000 points, rebounds, and assists, LeBron finally, you know, notches his spot at, you know, second on the all-time scoring list, uh, you know, just in the in NBA history, and he did it in 113 less games than Carl Malone. Do, do you ever just sit back in awe of what LeBron James has accomplished, what he continues to do on a nightly basis, and the fact that we may never see another player of his caliber again? I don't. I wouldn't even feel any hesitation with saying won't see another player like this because the amount of skill that's required, longevity that's required. You know, versatility of skill set, all these different things that have gone into LeBron's career and the idea of doing it at this level. Like there's no template for what LeBron is doing right now. Like I remember um, I, I wrote for a few years covering the Lakers for The Athletic. And I remember writing a piece before LeBron's first season um, with the Lakers about the need to reduce his minutes because, you know, the the – basically what was being asked of him, like the type of responsibilities that he had with that type of mileage was unprecedented. That was four years ago. And we're, yeah, I mean, we're still seeing this. And he hasn't slowed down. Yeah, that, that was a piece I wrote in 2018. And these are discussions that you can still have and frankly should have in 2022 when LeBron's health is becoming more precarious, his availability isn't a given the way it used to be. But he's still, he's 37 years old. He's averaging like a tick under 30 points a game. He might win a scoring title. And, you know, you'll hear detractors say that he's just padding his stats. He's stat chasing, going after numbers. I mean, the Lakers need him to score this to literally win. Like they, 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 they don't win games unless he puts up gaudy numbers. But let's just say for the sake of argument, you think that he is just out there trying to pad his numbers. That is really hard to do anyway. Like I mean, go, Most NBA players are not capable of chasing those type of numbers if they made that their entire goal every, ting, every single time they stepped on a court. Like it's, it's only like the upper 1% of guys who ever enter the league that could even attempt to do something like what LeBron's doing if you want to be that cynical about it. Like it's, it's amazing. It really, I mean, it, it, I, I think I'm going to have to agree with you there, Andy. I don't, we probably won't ever see an, another player like LeBron again, but it's just as he passes these milestones, I think it's important for fans of the NBA, regardless of team affiliation, whatever, just to try and appreciate the greatness that we're seeing while it's on display right now, before it's gone, whenever that may be, because LeBron may be entering his like, what, fifth prime here in the not so distant <laughs> future, but you're going to have us covered for everything. Obviously, LeBron James, where the Lakers find themselves in the play-in tournament, what their first round matchup is going to be over at Locked on Lakers. I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me, Andy. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. Coming up, 
Can Cade Cunningham make a push for Rookie of the Year with the Pistons to round out this NBA season? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, when it comes to protein bars, you've got to check out Built Bar. They are the number one protein bar on the market. Every single bar is coated in 100% delicious chocolate. They've got so many great flavors to choose from. Strawberry, mint brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, coconut brownie chunk. You really just can't go wrong with a single flavor on their menu. Every bar is low-cal, low low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great if you're on a keto diet. Great if you're trying to cut back, lose a little bit of weight. And you can check them out. Just go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, be sure to check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're a hockey fan, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL deadline special with 20 to 30 teams all going live 3 p.m. Eastern time just ahead of the NHL trade deadline. You don't want to miss out on that if you're a hockey fan. Joining us now is Kuka Hill from Locked On Pistons. You can follow on Twitter, the Bird app, at Kuka Hill. Koo, we're going to talk a little bit about Cade Cunningham, but first we got to talk about Sadiq Bey and his monster night, the 50-piece that he had, 51 points, 9 boards, 4 assists, 3 steals, 17 of 27 shooting. How high did Sadiq Bey's stock skyrocket after this 50-piece, Koo? It, you know, it actually was pretty crazy because I had just got done recording talking about how he had been struggling over the last five games. It was like, okay, let's see what it looks like. How long is it going to take him to get out of the slump? What's it going to look like when he gets out of the slump? Is he going to let that, you know, uh, that slump carry over to the end of the season? And then he drops 51 points. And it's like, oh, okay, what the hell just happened there? Um, but, you know, it his stock had been steadily increasing since the first 20 games of the season because he has just been flat out like nothing short of excellent for the Pistons since like game 24 or something. Uh, he was actively pretty bad in the first 24 games. But ever since then, he's averaging like 20 points on like average efficiency from the field uh, and playing pretty average. I mean, I'd say average defense, but just giving the Pistons a lot offensively in this 51-point game, I, I feel like it meant a lot for him, obviously. It did a lot for the team because the team needed something like this. And, you know, it definitely – probably feels like it was a big reward for him for how he's been playing the last like 30 or so games for the Pistons. Pretty nice to have, you know, give something for the team to kind of rally around, right? That kind of big performance, that kind of thing. But uh, Koo, it, it kind of feels like right now with the rookie of the year race, uh, it feels like it's tightening up maybe a little bit as we're nearing the end of the season. But And you can push back on this if you want to, but right now for me, and trust, I'm, I cover Jalen Green as well, and so it, it feels like, it feels like it's kind of Evan Mobley's award to lose at, at this point going into the tail end of the season. Do you think that Cade, you know, has a chance to catch Mobley? And, and what do you think he needs to do to sway voters in his favor during this last little stint of the season? So, you know, me and a bunch of other Pistons fans and everyone in the Pistons community, there's a lot of trolling that goes along. There's a lot of fun that goes along. But all joking aside this rookie class is going to be incredibly deep. Like we're talking about Evan Moly. We didn't even bring up Scotty Barnes. Who's been playing extraordinary. We got, you know, Franz Wagner, who doesn't get brought up a lot. Josh Giddy, Jalen green, obviously like your guy, Cade, like this is going to be a really deep draft class. So I just want to say that out the way first, but I feel like Cade, I feel like Cade is the best rookie 
in this class. I think he he he. I, I really do feel like he clearly is the best rookie in the draft, but I don't think that he's. I think the team record is going to hold him back. I think the fact that he struggled the first like eight or nine games of the season coming off an of injury is going to hold him back. And the fact that Evan Mobley has been on consistently contributing to a playoff team uh, and how great he is defensively already, I think that's really just going to carry him over because of how consistent he's been all year. I don't think he's had the same type of highs as other players have had, uh, but I feel like he's obviously been the most consistent one for a playoff team. So I, I think Cade has been making a hard push. He's been trying to make this push for rookie of the year. And it'll be interesting to see if he does end up making enough of a push to take it. Uh, but I think, obviously, Evan Mobley is the favorite right now. Uh, and I think Cade's going to have to – honestly, I feel like even if Cade does stuff to end of the season where he, I feel like he deserves it, I feel like the win-loss record will pretty much keep it from him uh, because it's kind of hard for voters across the nation to de- to deny a guy who's playing this well defensively and this good, de- uh, this good as a rookie for a team that could be like top five in the East. So – I feel like no matter what Cade does, probably it's going to be Evan Mobley's. And that's not to take anything away from him. He'll probably deserve it. But it, Cade has a chance. It's just it's it's a hard one. Who do you think is going to finish in, in – if, if we've got Mobley and Cade in there, who do you think is going to be the third rookie to be a finalist, you know, one of the final three for the award? I, I think it has to be Scotty Barnes at this point, specifically how he's been playing as of late. Uh, like, I, I know he's been playing really well throughout the season. But specifically over the last few weeks, I've been seeing his numbers get floated around on, on, on my Twitter feed uh, and seeing what he's been doing. He's been playing really, really well. Uh, so I think he's going to be up there. I think Franz Wagner probably has a case for that as well. I feel like he's kind of going under the radar a little bit. Uh, he was talked about a little bit at the beginning of the season, but I feel like people just got like bored of him or something. Uh, so I feel like he'll be in the conversation there. Um, and I feel like Jalen Green, your guy, has been playing pretty well since the All-Star break too. Uh, and he's been getting better and better as the seasons went on. But I think if I had to pick one, I think it has to be Scotty Barnes. I think those three guys, as far as the rookie of the year race, not where they'll finish as pros or who's the better rookie as of yet. I think for just rookie of the year, I think it's a tier one of probably Mobley, Cade, and Scotty. And then after that, it goes Franz with Jalen Green and a few other guys that have also been playing pretty well across the league. Probably safe to maybe throw Josh Giddy into that mix. Yeah, yeah as Josh well. Giddy. Josh Giddy. Um, now, now, Koo, another fixture of this Detroit Pistons team has been Jeremy Grant, right? And we heard his name kind of tossed around in some, you know, rumors around the trade deadline. Has he done anything, you know, post All-Star break that makes you think that maybe he's a possible, like, future long-term fixture for this Pistons team? Or is this going to be a situation where the Pistons are looking to maybe unload him? Not, ne- not necessarily at the next earliest possible convenience, but, you know, does he have a long-term fit in Detroit? I hope not. That that I, I I hope he doesn't. But I I would be lying to sit here and say that he hasn't he hasn't tr- he's tried to take a step back since the All Star break since the deadline. He's tried to let K take over as his team, and he's been a, he's done a pretty decent job at it. Uh, he just scored forty points like the other night. I don't know how long ago it'll be when this published, like probably three days ago, whatever the last game the Pistons played. Um, he just dropped forty points, so he has really good nights. And when he's able to step back and accept being a third piece or third role guy. Whatever, he's a pretty damn good player, and that's why a lot of contenders want him. However, I have serious questions about whether he actually is going to accept that role full-time moving forward for a team like the Pistons. I have serious questions. He's a natural – he tries to move the ball recently since the All-Star break, but he's a guy who just – that's not natural to him. He wants to take grab the ball. He kind of wants to do his own thing with it now uh, since coming to Detroit, and that kind of stops ball moving and can stagnate the offense. I really don't like that. 
I think the Pistons need to just get a roster full of guys who are high IQ players and are they're not probably not going to out talent people, but they'll you know play better basketball. They'll play have high IQ plays, move the ball, hit the open guy. I feel like they need as many guys as that possible. And also the biggest reason, I really don't think the Pistons should pay him that four-year, one hundred twelve million dollar extension that he wants uh, for the role that he's going to be at the Pistons and where the Pistons will be at. So. Um, He's done. He's tried to take a step back. He's tried to play better in a role that the Pistons probably want him to play to where they won't want to, they, they won't feel pressured to move him to the next earlier spot. They'll probably feel, okay, if we don't move him, then we'll be I holding him to the trade deadline. But I don't think he's done anything so far. I think the idea should still be to eventually move him before his contract's up. How has Dwayne Casey kind of done with regards to to growing and developing the you know the talent? on this young Pistons team and does he, has he given you the confidence that he's going to be, you know, the, the coach for the Pistons moving forward? Or is that something that, you know, we should be on the lookout for this upcoming off season with the Pistons, maybe, you know, looking for a new guy to take the helm. So I think Dwayne Casey, I've said this many times before, I think he's the perfect coach for where they're at right now. They're not trying to win and they're just worried about trying to build professionals, build character and that kind of thing. And the one thing about Dwayne Casey that you can say, and if you go back to his Toronto days, uh, it'll be that he gets guys to play hard for him. Guys believe in him. Guys look up to him. He builds character and he makes guys professional. That's the one good thing you can say about him. So you can never take that from him. Outside of that, everything else is questionable for me. He's not very good with X and O's, in my opinion. He's, his, his adjustments throughout a game is very questionable. Um, so I don't think, to, to answer your question, I don't think he'll be the coach when the Pistons are trying to win. I don't think he's going to be fired this offseason. I don't think he's in danger of losing his job. I think what's eventually going to happen, and he just signed an extension, I think all signs are pointing to that after this upcoming season, after this next season, he's going to slowly just fade away into like an advisory role with the Pistons in the front office somewhere, and the Pistons will then sign a guy to take them into that next step of, okay, we're going to try to win now. But for is for developing and where they're at right now, I think he's a fine coach where they're at right now. Just I don't think he's going to be the coach when they try to win, whether that's next year or the year after that. Uh, I, I think he's just will eventually find himself fading away a little bit into an advisory role or role in the front office uh, and, and being influenced in the, in the organization while possibly Jerome Allen, who's on the assistant coaching staff for the Pistons steps in and takes that place or possibly someone outside. But I, I, Jerome Allen's a name I've always said to keep an eye on. All right, Koo, before I get you out of here, the one thing, the one saving grace for all the teams sitting at the bottom of the standings, the Pistons, the Magic, the Rockets, is looking forward to the NBA draft lottery, looking forward to the NBA draft. If the Pistons were so lucky as to walk away with the number one overall pick again in this upcoming draft, who do you have number one on your draft board and who would you want to see the Pistons take with the number one overall pick? So my listeners all know that I'm not a big draft guy. I'm not a big college guy, but I did just get done recording with Locked On's very own uh, draft dude, uh, Richard, over at at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Uh, so, and I've listened to what some people are saying. So, if they would get the number one overall pick, it sounds like Jabari Smith would be the move. Troy Rivers seems to be really high on him, a, a lethal shooter who has the tangibles to be a really damn good defender as well. So, I think that's probably the pick to go with right there, especially at his position where the Pistons, I feel like, probably have their biggest, maybe not their biggest hole, but one of their holes at his position. Uh, and definitely with shooting, they desperately need shooting. And for a guy at his position in space flight, I think the Pistons would love that. And obviously, his potential would be more than that. Uh, Chet Holmgren obviously is a, is an interesting p- a pick to have there, but for me, I'm again I, this is maybe an ignorant of opinion because I'm not like well versed in draft. I'm not well versed in college, but just from the outside point of view, his weight scares me. 
and if I had a number one overall pick, I'd I'd probably go with the safer pick at Jabari because that weight his weight really does scare me in homegrown. Can Cade Cunningham make a push for Rookie of the Year? What are the Detroit Pistons going to do in the draft? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Pistons. Koo, appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thank you for having me, man. Coming up, John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies are the number two overall seed in the Western Conference, the number two team in the NBA this season. What has led to John Morant taking the leap this year? What has led to the Memphis Grizzlies' success? What's their biggest weakness? And what does their playoff outlook appear to be? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online because it's that time of year again. We got March Madness in full swing from all the latest odds, contests, and player props. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info bet online remains the best spot for all of your sports scores podcasts and news this season it's not just basketball bet online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs including live betting and your favorite vegas casino games they even got vegas casino games go check them out head to the website today you're using mobile device to learn more about the trends and action available to you bet online it's where the game starts And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Sean Coleman, the host of Locked On Grizzlies. You can follow on Twitter at StatsSAC. Sean, this Grizzlies team is looking mighty impressive as we are nearing the tail end of this NBA season. Not just the second best team in the Western Conference, the second best team in the NBA as a whole, at least by as far as win, win percentage is concerned, which I'm sure has you nice and giddy over there. But at the heart of everything the Grizzlies do is John Morant, and he's had a, a really impressive transcendent season. What to you has been the biggest thing that stood out You know, as he's taken the leap this year? Oh, it's the consistency. It's the over. First off, how are you, Jackson? You doing all right today? <laughs> I'd be doing better if the Rockets had managed to pick up another win against your Grizzlies. But other than that, I'm doing just fine, Sean. Thank oh, you. Oh, I wasn't even going to bring that up. 24-point win. 122-98. What were we talking about? John, John Morant. Yeah, oh, okay. I thought you were going to talk about Desmond Bain after he annihilated y'all. Anywho, so John Morant. Um, yeah, it, it, basically it's the resourcefulness. You know, I've said it all season long. Um, it, it's not as if his 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 three-point shot certainly has taken a step forward. You know, his ability to impact games with it. You know, it hasn't happened, you know, just every game, but it is certainly there. But he's a, he's a streaky three-point shooter. That probably will remain the case at least early in his career, and it may be the case for his entire career. But it's the eye-opening ability for him to consistently get into the lane, whether it be making shots that – None of us know how he did it or getting to the free throw line. It's just a consistency of scoring, but it's also the ability to take the reins back a little bit. And if he needs to, he can set up his own teammates as well. But just being one of the, you know, I, a lot of times I like to look at the statistics when it comes to assists and points as to how much was a player responsible for directly. He's one of the best sources night in and night out of 45, 50, 55 points, whether it be his scoring or him contributing to other scoring. He's one of the best bets to directly contribute to that level of scoring night in and night out, and that certainly is a great start for any offense. His resourcefulness is what stands out to me. 
you know, th this Grizzlies team just from top to bottom seems like such a well-rounded team, especially when you consider the fact that even without John Morant, they tend to still function like a well-oiled machine, just, you know, be it next man up mentality, guys knowing their roles, but also still being able to deliver even in the absence of their star players. So who on this Grizzlies team, you've shouted out Desmond Bain, gave him his flowers for his performance against the Rockets, but who on this Grizzlies team is maybe the unsung hero, the guy that doesn't get enough praise that he does, that he, that he should. It's the two other bigs besides Jaron Jackson Jr., and that is, uh, you know, Brandon Clark and Stephen Adams. And it's hard for me to leave out Tyus Jones. It's hard to stepping up for John Moran. But the reason I go with Adams and, and, and Brandon Clark is because they are the ones that sh that have likely the biggest impact on two areas where the Grizzlies truly are elite compared to the NBA. That's obviously protecting the rim. You know, Brandon Clark does that along with Jaron Jackson Jr., but especially for those two, it's offensive rebounding. The Grizzlies' ability to get that possession edge game in and game out to even if the three-point shooting's not there, we're still able to win because of the quantity of twos that we get. But when both of those players are out there in the lineup, that's 40 consistent minutes of great presence around both the defensive and offensive rim Going with Jaron Jackson Jr., you have one of the best front court trios out there. So I would certainly say, even though you don't see the threes from Brandon Clark, even though you don't see the scoring from Steven Adams, the overall ability for them to get offensive rebounds, second chance points, and just their paint presence on both ends of the courts, that consistently is a, is a not supporting uh, aspect when it comes to the Grizzlies and their main players. And not and in in terms of Stephen Adams as well, and not to take anything away from John Morant, but I think one of the things too that has really stood out to me at least this year with the Grizzlies is the impact of Stephen Adams as a screener. Right, screening is something that I don't think we we give enough credit to sometimes at the NBA level, and how important that is for creating an advantage offensively. And when you've got Stephen Adams, a moving brick wall, setting screens for you, it creates some really advantageous opportunities for Jaw. Are you are you trying to start the narrative here, Jackson, that Jaw wouldn't be who he is without Jonas Valanciunas or Stephen Adams over the past three years? Is that what you're trying to do? I am pushing false no. narratives here on Locked on NBA. No, again, without I had to preface it, but he has had a, an enormous impact, you know, offensively as well for this Grizzlies team, even if it doesn't always translate just directly into points on the box score, right? I'm sorry, I was pushing this L into the center of the screen to represent the Rockets' efforts today if we're going to push narratives. Anywho, you know, you're absolutely right. The support from Steven Adams ha has been incredible. You know, it, it, it's nice to have someone who just enjoys contributing to the game without having to be a, a, a high-usage centerpiece. You know, nothing against Jonas Valanciunas. The reason why he was of higher usage is because he could you be utilized more. He has more capabilities as a scorer and, and a post, you know, source of scoring than Stephen Adams does. But Stephen Adams' overall ability, he knows how to use his body. He's intelligent. He knows where he needs to be. The passing has certainly emerged. But you're absolutely right. He has been a star in support, and it really has played a big part. That's why the numbers are so good when he is on the court with Jaron. Jaw and others this year. He absolutely has been a star in support and a needed one for the Grizzlies to take their next step as a team. Sean, we've got the playoffs right around the corner. Uh, right now, what is the biggest area of concern for this Grizzlies team or potentially just their biggest weakness as we're looking to move into postseason play? 
Uh, yeah, it's it's the shooting. It, it, that's that's the consistent thing when it comes to the Grizzlies. It's it's the overall shooting half court offense. If you take away what they're very good at, the, the producing on the hustle, producing on offensive rebounds, limiting their ability to create turnovers and, and clogging the paint. Can the Grizzlies then use effective ball movement and convert enough of their open opportunities when it comes to shooting the basketball to be able to win games? That's something that the Jazz were able to adjust to last year. It's not only that, it's the Grizzlies' ability to, to defend the three. You got to shoot the three and you got to defend the three. You know from covering the Rockets in the middle of last decade with Harden how big both those opportunities were. And so it consistently is the case when it comes to the playoffs. But beyond that, individually, I do have a bit of a concern. You know, we see injuries starting to really impact teams both in positive and negative ways. You've got people coming back like Draymond and Jamal Murray, you know, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. potentially, other players like that. Then you have some players who potentially are going to be out for a while. you got, uh, obviously, CP3, Steph, others as well. The thing that, that concerns me on an individual level, John Morant's knee. Now, I'm saying this, I don't think that there's anything major going on. But this is now the third or fourth time we've seen John Morant miss because of a knee injury. If you remember earlier this year, he missed because of a knee injury for about 10 or 11 games. Is it the same thing? Is it going to be a maintenance tolerance issue? Unfortunately, does it potentially put him at risk, you know, more than normal to have a bigger injury potentially happen? It's going to be interesting as he's now playing more basketball than he ever has. That's one concern. Also, the consistency of Jaron Jackson Jr. Jackson, I've told you before, multiple times. His activity, his presence on both ends of the court, to me, is the single most important contributing factor to how far the Grizzlies will go in the playoffs this year. So it goes to our two stars. As amazing as they've been, the health of John Morant, the consistency of Jaron Jackson Jr., those are things that I'm not necessarily concerned are going to turn out, you know, worst case scenario, but I'm certainly hoping the best case scenario happens for both. I'm glad you hit us with the uh, injury update or at least levels of concern regarding Jaw since he wasn't you know there for the game uh, the the whooping of the Houston Rockets against the Memphis Grizzlies to use some of your terminology uh, vernacular Ass kicking. All right, there we go. We'll go with that, I suppose. <laughs> but I'm glad you got us covered on on that base, Sean. Last clear, thing here clear, for you. Clear ass kicking. Clear clear okay. ass kicking. Oh man, this is just turning into a, a, a Sean Coleman slam session of the, the Houston Rockets. I love it. On Locked on NBA, this isn't even for Locked on Rockets, which is incredible. With that, Sean, last thing here, just, you know, with the way that the playoff picture is shaping up, there's still a little bit of time, you know, things could move around, but as it currently stands, Grizzlies, the number two seed, kind of looking down the barrel of playing one of the Timberwolves or the Clippers coming out of that play-in matchup currently. Which of those teams do you think poses a more difficult matchup as a potential first-round opponent for the Grizzlies? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question and an excellent question from you, sir, as always. I always enjoy talking with you, Jackson. Also, just to be clear, before I answer that question on John Morant, I want to make sure that it's understood. There's nothing major, nothing just overall concerning. He likely will be back, especially with ESPN coming to Memphis. He'll likely be back on Wednesday. I'm just saying, you know, to what level is this injury going to, you know, maintain his ability to play? We'll see. I don't think anything major is coming up. It's just, you know, something to watch. But to your question about who is the biggest matchup, listen, stylistically, as well as roster-wise, personnel-wise, the Timberwolves are a very tough matchup for the Grizzlies. They've got the length and they've got the athleticism to really give Jaw a consistent coverage that can limit him from really taking over games in a playoffs matchup. And their three-headed monster of um, D'Angelo Russell, who the Grizzlies just, he... He absolutely goes off against the Grizzlies. Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, they definitely are a strong trio that could give the Grizzlies problems in the first round. Of course, though, the biggest storyline is this, is listen, if rosters are as they are right now, 
all day long, I'd rather take on the Clippers. That absolutely is the truth. But even if they're coming off injury and they've not had that big of a ramp up, Paul George, the hell, the return of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, could they come back? I'll be honest with you. If it's both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I would probably rather take on the Timberwolves. But if it's just one of them and they're coming off an injury, I could see myself saying I would rather have the Clippers. So the injury updates, the injury outlook for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard probably would be the biggest factor on who I would rather play. Because I'm telling you, I think the Grizzlies would beat either teams, you know, if only one of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard come back or the Timberwolves. But the Timberwolves are an incredibly tough matchup for the Grizzlies. They have been for the past two seasons. Can the Grizzlies carry their regular season success into the postseason and make a deep playoff run? How far will John Morant and company go? Sean, you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Grizzlies. I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. It's always an absolute pleasure, Jackson. You know that. Thanks for having me, bud. We'll talk to you again soon. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the new Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. 